0: Welcome to this special series of Moneyball Medicine focused on AI, machine learning, and analytics applied to drug discovery and development. This special series was recorded as part of the AI Applications Summit produced by Corey Lane Partners. I'm your host, Harry Glorikian. In this series, I will interview different speakers from the event and we will hear their experiences. We will dive into the challenges and opportunities they're facing and their predictions for the years to come. Welcome to Moneyball Medicine. My guest today is Malind Kamkolkar. He's a returning guest from a previous show, but now we have a twist to discuss in his evolution and area of focus. Malind is now the CDO of Celerity, a flagship pioneering therapeutics company. Malind joined Celerity from Sanofi where he was the first enterprise chief data officer in the pharmaceutical industry. Malind's focus was driving the transformation of Sanofi from a data generation organization to a data-driven organization to empower the lives and enrich the value Sanofi delivered to its customers. The approach was drawn from his tenure at Novartis, where he was the global head of data science and AI and digital medicines. Melinda welcome back to the show. Wonderful to be back here again, Harry. Really appreciate it. Big changes, I mean, from Sanofi, an 800-pound gorilla to a nimble startup, Celerity, why the change?
1: Well, look, I, I've, I've had a wonderful experience in both those companies, in both Novartis and at Sanofi, but I think it's two things. I mean, one, I started my career in early 2000, uh, or actually late 99, early 2000 in startup, and did that for almost five years before going to consulting and then finally ending up, you know, on the other side of the fence, which was, I guess, on the buy side of the house, right, being at Novartis and and Sanofi. And whilst learning sort of, you know, how decisions really get made over there and the politics behind them and just trying to, frankly, understand the question of who on earth is a buyer half the time, um, I just found that I was missing being uh, on the innovation side. I was missing really being able to build my teams and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that pharma companies are not innovative. They obviously are. And they clearly are doing some good work out there in bringing medicines to market. But I felt in the world of machine learning in the world of digital, most of the innovation was 99% done through external partnerships. Um, Harry, I'm a builder. I like building things. And you can't be a great builder in these big companies. If you want to build, you have to go back to small and really free yourself of any preconditions of what you can build and how you can build. And that's why I ended up at Solarity because they had one terrific proposition that uh, it's the first time in a long time since I've heard any startup pitch where I was like, wow, this can either go spectacularly well or it could, uh, it could go (laughs) clearly South, but, uh, Thankfully, we're we're trending on the up and up.
0: Well, you know, you're you're you're. I love it. You're you're convincing great people to come to startups. That you know, as a venture guy like I am, we we're always looking for good people, right? Um, so so I've heard a few talks on the company, um, that I I, I was privy to that um, Avak, you know, gave uh, while get while at one of the conferences, and it seems you that you guys are trying to answer some. Big questions. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the company, and of course, you know this new role that you have with them?
1: Yeah, of course. So, why don't I start first with the 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 origin story, if you will? So, I mean, people familiar with flagship company uh, or the flagship portfolio of companies will or uh, will appreciate that you have a couple of different kinds of partners in there. I happen to work uh, with a partner by the name of. Dr. Avart uh, who is an origin or origination partner, and what this really means that these are scientist entrepreneurs who have a team behind them that are also expert scientists, and what they try and do is is create destinations of fantastic science that you know really are to be not judged, if you will, in terms of their ridiculous, ridiculousness, their absurdity, whatever the case may be, right? But these are Let's call it the sci-fi of science, the what-if questions. And the question that Avak and one of his associates, uh, Nick Plugius, uh, who co-founded Solarity, frankly, was one of the question of the world of computation and biology, which was one of the hard things that's really come through, or one thing that we really have not had a good handle of, is overlooking the complexity of disease in designing medicines. And, And frankly, just looking at, what would it take to encode a cell digitally you know through through code and no one's really done this right to to uh, a large extent i mean you can think of it as like a blueprint i mean people who've looked at our website now really can just look at the origin story and the blueprint diagram uh in the in the about solarity section and you know that whole idea of being able to take n-dimensional data look across many many complex interconnected networks Etc. is really only feasible now. I mean, look, we've started doing this from the very beginning days, and that's why we also had one of our academic co-founders, um, Jim Collins, who's who's you know well known across the world uh, in the world of systems biology. I think we could argue is probably one of the godfathers of systems biology. But even he said, you know, what changed over the last number of years is really the the ability to compute at scale. Um, but the challenge was that. In the process of doing so, whilst there are many machine learning companies that have come through, there are many large computational companies that have come through the advent of big data. We often felt, or, or those two partners felt, this is back in 2017, uh, uh, sorry, not partners, Avak and Nick, felt that, um, you know, were we applying these wonderful new technologies to, almost an obfuscated way of doing work, i.e. very reductionist. So, yes, you could have all this big data. You could have all this fancy deep learning algorithms and neural networks and all that kind of good stuff. But ultimately, if you were applying it to a very, very narrow, narrow target space, you know, you're not even, you're trying, you're almost focusing on the trees. You're not focusing on, or you're not giving yourself the freedom to look at the forest and the trees, if you will. And that's where Solarity was born, where we said, well, what, what does that actually look like? If you could see the forest and trees, what does that look like? And what that translated to was not just phenotype, because phenotype in and of itself is yet another reductionist approach, but really um, look at both the reductionist and what I would call the emergent approach, or, or what we call cell behaviors, really taking into account all of these networks, etc., that exist not only at the molecular level, not only at the cellular level, but also at the tissue level and so forth. And being able to look at all of it at once, which is, you know, you could argue sounds quite preposterous, frankly. Um, but I love that ambition, right? If you could do that, what the heck would that mean to, the, to the, our understanding of biology? What on earth would that mean to truly understanding complexity of disease?
0: Well, it drives it towards, you know, it makes it, an engineering issue.
1: Yeah, More I than... think it's a couple of things, you know, it's, it is definitely engineering. But I think it's also, Harry, what's important is that it's really looking at the most fundamental unit of, of life, specifically the cell, and appreciating all the mechanisms and all the environments that actually lend itself to how cells behave in a state of disease, and how cells behave in a state of health. And that's where, you know, I guess the world of single-cell then came along. We thought, well, okay, what was the lowest resolution? Uh, sorry, the highest resolution of data that we could start basing our thesis off, if you will. Uh, at which point, um, Nick and Avar searched really around the world for experts who understand computational applications mm-hmm. will sell. And came upon one of uh, one of the uh, really impressive guys in my team, Dr. Alex Wolf, who was the author of Scanpy from Fabian Thesis Lab. And uh, you know, if, for people who don't know Scanpy, it's kind of like the tensor flow for single cell analysis. That's probably the easiest comparison. There's a huge following behind it. Many, many advances in single cell analytics and single cell analysis have stemmed from that. But as you can imagine, having the author on our team um, who, you know, his background is basically as a theoretical uh, physicist and engineering, uh, PhD in engineering. And when he looked at, and he obviously worked in single, uh, sorry, in biological labs under under Dr. Thies uh, at Helmholtz in uh, Munich. Um, When he looked at this and said, wow, this could be a really incredible problem because no one's really done single cell understanding in the context of both, uh, medicinal development and also in the context of, uh, uh, chemistry. And this is where sort of the company was born. So that was done. I mean, did all these stunts, you know, in classic, uh, you know, (laughs) parks, you you speak to KOLs who we deliberately want them to beat the daylights out of this idea to see if it's even reasonable. And if it makes sense, you know, you kind of get your early capital, uh, allocation. And uh, if it makes further sense, uh, you form what's called a venture lab company, and I joined the company early in January of this year, where it was I think around four or five people in the company. Uh, but really the vast majority of the work we've done uh, I would say ninety percent of the work we've done uh, has been this year since january
0: so So how are you approaching you know that this this show is generally about the how are you applying the machine learning and AI techniques? And, you know, I use that word loosely because it's a lot of different uh, applications that, that come to bear with this. And merge them with what is coming off the different instruments or technologies that you guys are, are utilizing.
1: Oh, look, that's a great question. Look, so I'll tell you, if I was to say the value proposition of Solarity, right, uh, is really a couplefold, right? So you know, the benefit of working in a startup company is that you can have a clear destination, but there are no rules as to how you go about doing that, right? And we searched high and wide to look around and and say, well, is there anything remotely close to either encoding a cell or doing even some of these discrete pieces that has been integrated in, in a meaningful way? And what we observed were a couple of things. Number one, the and I'm going to say this in the context of drug develop, development, because I think there are enough wonderful academic labs across the world that are doing great work in mapping single cell and effectively creating an inventory of single cell. There are some companies out there that are also treating single cell as a target, which I think is also uh, a really, really great idea. And I, and I wish the best for those companies. But we, we really, we're building a platform company, right? We're not building a specific target company we're really building a platform company. And as a platform company, what that translated to is we had to change a couple of things. We had to change, first of all, how we applied machine learning in the context of first and foremost, developing medicines, right? Against interesting biology that has never really been identified before. I mean, we're literally creating a new category of this kind of approach. Number two, We also, in parallel, recognizing that we are first and foremost a medicine, uh, you know, we develop medicines company. uh, We could not be either biology first or AI first or this, you know, we found that those two approaches in and of themselves, again, narrowed the approach to which you can do this kind of work. The last area was, of course, um, the, the area of um, looking at all of this kind of work and making sure that we could prove out the platform in a meaningful way at both a speed uh, and improving the success rate and also ensuring that we had the highest quality of data available that we could support. And so to do all of those, you, know, you really have to change business process. You have to change uh, techniques, methods, and you had to change the format of data generation and in fact, the organizational structure to really make this impact. So bottom line, uh, I think we're one of the first therapeutic companies that is truly treating interdisciplinary as a real thing. It's core to the business model. What do I mean by that? You have in today's world of doing drug development, a very functionally hierarchical approach to developing uh, or proving a biological hypothesis biology comes up with a hypothesis, you have technologists that are generating data, and then that gets flowed down to an informatics team in a basement somewhere or something that has to then figure out what the heck is the context of this data and is it even useful for me? And I think that day and age of doing that work is very akin, we've been successful in doing that work, I'm not saying it's bad, but the success rates haven't been that great by the time it comes into passing through medicines. We felt that in order to do that, we had to remove that bureaucracy, that functional hierarchy. For us, machine-learned hypotheses are equally a way, to generate, a way to generate clinical hypotheses. And in fact, are probably 80% of the way in which we actually do our work. Uh, we may have data that we generate from novel Uh, technology approaches for different data modalities and we can also have your traditional way of doing uh, biological thesis uh, to support that work but any one of those has an equal and viable uh, uh, decision-making authority to be able to determine whether a program kicks off or not and that's very cool because you don't see that everywhere and what that does is that you save a lot of time and you can contextualize far quicker.
0: Well, you and I have talked about this quite a bit that, you know, and if you look at other industries where they've tried to apply machine learning, AI and all the other methodologies is the ones that try and shove it into the existing workflow only get a minor improvement. And those that rethink the entire workflow around the power of what the system provides or can provide, end up getting the the biggest improvements, right?
1: 100%, uh, 100%, Harry. So here, here's a thing. And I, I used to say it back in the and Sanofi, I coined this term that my friend Eugene over at uh, Eugene Brokovich, who runs digital health at Bayer, uh, has kindly used Knows <laughs> nauseum too. We're good buddies. But uh, I love the way he also approaches it as well. I call it the do things better versus do better things approach. Do things better to me is the operational efficiency. That's what you have today. And today with the AI companies who are coming in and saying, oh, we can do screening techniques and large phenotype analysis, or we can do generative chemistry and you know whatever other things that are going on, let's call it in this sort of more in silico CRO space, they're applying it still to highly reductionist processes, which in and of itself does not lend itself to exponential value it lends itself more to operational efficiencies
0: or or incremental value in some way right
1: Uh, yeah i'm not saying not valuable don't get me wrong i think there's going to be people there that are going to do quite well in that and that's fine i just don't think that's the best way to do it when you have a chance to step back right
0: no but 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 see now you're now you're going to a kodak right moment right where
1: I, I I
0: listen, I'm I'm X years old. I'm the CEO. I'm not going to change. What are you what are you crazy? Like I've only got a little bit longer to go. Why am I going to, you know, you new? I don't need new, right? I mean, you know, look at Elon Musk. Let's fire this rocket and land this thing on a floating pad in the middle of the water, right? You don't think that someone at NASA said, you know, holy crap. Um, you know, Again, you're, I, I don't disagree with you. I think it takes, when there is this big of a shift that is coming or has is here, the status quo making that pivot is incredibly difficult.
1: It is. It, it really is. And that's why I say, you know, look, I'm not expecting the big companies to change their processes to do this work. Right. they are fantastic companies and have great value in the in the market there is tremendous power in the work that they do and you know for a company like Solarity of course we are going to partner with many of these companies but we would partner with them based more on the notion of a medicinal asset not necessarily on how we do our machine learning or how we do uh, our technology you know our data generation process because that-
0: of how we do work so Malin step back here for a second so tell me what did you do to sort of uh, prove out that this could be successful that you feel that I'm not saying all the pieces right because you're still making sausage is that enough is there that you're like huh damn really this could work what what is it what was it what are the key elements that you saw or the proof of principle that, that, that jumped out at you?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, the first thing we started out with was, of course, generating decent enough predictive capabilities. When I say decent enough, we weren't trying to deliberately build a Rolls-Royce of engines. We were very fortunate that you know, people like Alex, for example, uh, had already scanned Pi there, but given that he was the author of this, he could also very quickly tell and understand where you could go beyond its current capability in the context of drug development. So that was one. So you know, I'll tell you, we've been very mindful in the way we approach machine learning, uh, where yes, we use convoluted neural networks, we use Bayesian, we use you know, all sorts of other statistical methodologies um, and machine learning methodologies to do work. But I'll tell you one thing we're not. We are not religious about which one you use. What we're keen on using is efficient methods, practical methods, that are going to yield us the quickest opportunities to investigate from a in vitro or in vivo validated competency. Okay, sorry, uh, uh, evidence point. Um, <clears throat> and so when we designed these engines, you know, we started with some very basic things, what the end state was, what what is it, what are the kinds of things we want to be able to do? Well, we definitely wanted to be able to test perturbations against cell behaviors and create a cellular behavior map, if you will, around that. We wanted to be able to do cross-species analysis to even assess, should we even do a mouse model test or should we do something else? And is it even translatable in human? Uh, We looked at chemical structure generations, whether it was Predictive chemistry of known molecules for new indications versus completely generative chemistry uh, that we could do on our own. And look at those in the context of biological influence and cell behavior inference. These sorts of things right, are the things that we said, you know, I mean, on and off targets. We said has to be done. We often do that far too late in the process of drug development, often in lead op stage, not even in lead ID stage, where we could have done this way earlier on and hyper paralyzed
0: but some of these you're talking about, I mean, first of all, A, you know, they can almost be companies in and of themselves, right? Um, but B, what are the sort of models that you use to sort of prove this out? Um, I'm I'm just, just curious if you can share that.
1: So I, I can talk about it at a high level, right? Because obviously, the machine learning work that we're doing is proprietary to what we do. But you know, the things that I mentioned here, for example, we take single cell data, either bulk or or at single uh, RNA-seq data, looking at RNA velocity and other such data modalities. Uh, we look at computer vision of the way in which cells are behaving as well. So we, you know, integrate a bit of phenotypic-based uh, screening in there uh, very early on in the process. Uh, we look at predictive toxicity, for example, on the chemistry side, I mean, the, the way in which you think about the layers of this thing is, you know, the, the grassroots layer is the database and knowledge base that's collecting both lab informatics data to see what we've done and how we've done to the actual knowledge graph that generates um, these, these different cross network analyses and patterns. The second layer is our drug reflector, uh, as well as the uh, cell behavior integration. And those two are almost two sides of a coin, right? Uh, We don't want to do chemistry in the absence of biology. We don't want to do biology in the absence of chemistry. So we integrate both of those right from the get-go. And that took some time to really think through. But that's the benefit, though, of having this interdisciplinary team. You're never doing or making these decisions in a vacuum. You know, we're asking questions around, well, what kind of data modality would support an inference model around that? What kind of value? Bio- I mean, if we did that, does it even biologically make sense? Hey, chemistry folks, does that even make sense in terms of a chemical profile? Would that be useful? And these decisions are done very quickly to do some quick pox. We had a triage mechanism to de-risk the projects that we chose early in the POCs, but it was a sequence of, oh, crap moments, this actually works, you know? <laughs> Um, when we first generated our hypotheses, we tested it on a couple of uh, disease indications with the solarity maps that we had generated. And, um, you know, when you saw it work, we were like, wow, in vitro, in vitro studies that were, you know, took no more than four to five days to test in vitro. I think the maximum one took about 20 days to do in vitro. Um, that was a big holy crap moment. You know, I think we all suddenly got, you know, uh, tingling, feeling up our spine going, you know, we're no longer a toddler that's stumbling around. We're a toddler that can actually walk reasonably well. Um, And then when we took that to the next level in developing an assay that was relevant for in vivo, that's when we said, okay, there's something here. There's something really here. This is no longer an academic project or an early stage company. There's something here that we could do. And what we started doing as a result of that was generated, and you know, I talked about those layers, right, outside of the biology and chemistry. The final layer is, of course, that celerity map that you may have seen in our press release. And that's what we actually use to really understand behaviors and cell, and cell patterns across all of those and where different perturbation agents actually play a role in the, in the map destiny, if you will. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at those maps. It was funny when we were talking about it to uh, uh, someone who asked about us recently, one of the folks who asked us recently, they said, well, how are these, isn't it just mapping? We're like, you know, you could say that, but it's like comparing MapQuest to Waze, right? <laughs> when you're looking at MapQuest, yes, we all printed out the report and we looked at it and it was useful. But it's only when we started getting different modalities of taking the train, walking, flying, et cetera, did we truly understand our options that we had to reach a destination.
0: No, it's actually, I mean, most people think GPS is so simple and it's the richness that you get from how, where, how fast, what direction. There's so much richness in it that people don't fully appreciate that uh, it's interesting. And and I, I totally agree with you. I mean, this this multimodal knowledge is what we need to sort of move the whole space to the next level. I, I don't know how you do it the old way.
1: Well, look and I'll tell you that's what I gotta say the last couple of days, my team and I have been having this interesting debate around even the notion of big data because the thing is we've been struggling honestly within the company we've really been struggling in terms of defining is there a metaphorical analogy to what we're doing in other industries that could make this easily understood right and i got to say i think we're we're being very unfair every time we come up with an appropriate analogy one one we were tossing around was you know, is it like how cars became autonomous, autonomous vehicles? And we said, no, well, actually, that's not really true because most of that data is incredibly structured. It's well-defined. There are data mappings that make sense. Yes, it's big data, but truthfully, you're, you're, the decision-making you're really creating in those, though, could be compensated with adding a few more cameras on different parts of the car, right? But it's not as though the system of prediction, et cetera, is going to change that much dramatically, even added variables that are already well-defined. Well, guess what biology has? It doesn't have any of that, right? We can't even agree from company to company what on earth the definition of a gene is. How on earth do you think you're gonna get further than that, right? So we found that we have to respect life in its essence at a cellular level, but really try and incorporate what we can and use inference modeling and orthogonal data types to be able to compensate. And that's tough, right? That's really hard to do.
0: No, 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 no. You've got to have, yeah, I mean, you've got to look at the problem through multiple approaches, some of them where you're looking for something that is known, and then have also an ability to ask, what it, what, what are you seeing? What is it seeing that it can show me that I may not know?
1: Well, and look, and I'll tell you what, that's the, I think that's the beauty now of what we're trying to get done here, we we really believe that it is not a case of generating big data, if you will. Um, in fact, I think I've, I'm starting to reach conclusions where what you really need is just smart data, uh, if I can use a somewhat of a cheesy word. Um, and I say smart because you know when I see people talk about how many petabytes of data they have, etc one of the biggest challenges in biological data is simply labeling. So you could have four, five, six, eight petabytes of data, but if it's all awfully labeled, it's just a big stinking stinking pile of you know what, and someone's gonna have to clean it, right? And if that's where most of your capital allocation is gonna go to, that's where your resource allocation is gonna go to, how much inference do you really think you can make, right? And I, and I think that's where the issue lies. If you're not deliberately designing the way in which you approach this with data modalities that have enough statistical significance to give you the proof points that you need that are relevant enough for the biological hypothesis you're trying to prove, then you're simply just generating data which has little, if not any meaning at all. Uh, And that's, you know, that's something that we have been very deliberate on. We don't need lots of data. We just need the right data. You
0: know, I I don't believe that you need 10,000 people to do what you're doing. I think that the power of the systems allow you to to, to leverage sort of a, I don't want to say smaller, but, you know, a lot smaller than some of these big companies um, to do this sort of work. Now, if you need to actually do the, you know, uh, biological work to back it up that may require a lot more people over time but i think the engine itself can be a much smaller much nimbler group of people which you know if you think about the the value ratio uh is significantly higher
1: you're 100 percent right can i tell you right for some of our earlier parks most of our data just fit on one excel page <laughs> you know I mean, really. And they were completely validated, very reasonable biological hypotheses, appropriate cell perturbations that we used, and decent enough cell behaviors that were generated. You didn't need a whole ton of data. You just needed the right amount to give a statistical significance that was uh, biologically relevant.
0: So what's the next step, Melinda? Sounds like you're out there, you know, creating a platform to conquer, you know, all our questions in the biological, you know, in silico model of a cell to predict a drug action, you know, uh, off-target effects, off-tissue effects. What, what
1: What's next? Oh, we've got a whole bunch next. You know, one of the holy grails that people have been talking about, certainly when I was in big pharma, was including more downstream data into early discovery, right? So real-world evidence, pharmacovigilance data, uh, commercial data, etc. cetera. Um, for me, I'm very excited that some of our investments over the course of next year will be in some of these newer data modalities. I'm also very excited about working with different perturbation agents now and generating comprehensive libraries that go beyond also small molecule, but really, um, also leverage though our small molecule efforts, um, I love the fact that we can actually go across different disease areas and very, very quickly identify opportunities uh, to test um, existing products with uh, new indications. Um, But there's there's still a lot of work. I mean, I'm not going to deny that there's still a lot of work we need to get done, but I'm just encouraged with the breadth and depth that we're going to be pursuing, both in disease categories, therapeutic areas, as well as uh, approaches to machine learning and um, it, it's fun and the new the new data modalities as well I mean one of my peers Chad Nussbaum if you don't know Chad was really there with Eric Landers when the genome project became the genome project and before the Broad was even called a Broad and he's kindly joined our company with a wonderful team of technologists generating proprietary data based on his clearly extensive years of knowledge of having done this
0: um so Malin, but there's gotta be, you know, there's there's probably one area that you feel that will move faster than the other. Is there a particular therapeutic
1: Yeah, right. Well, so no, look, I mean, I'll tell you what, we are going after quite a significant amount. The beauty of what we're doing is that we could talk about five different disease areas and look at those disease areas in a day. We have done like we've today We've generated over 250 slarity maps, which relate to different indications and TAs. The rate limiting factor at this point in time is the practicality in developing appropriate assays to test them. So I think uh, for us, uh, you know, I mean, and we've, we, you know, we, we've done, you know, pox in different examples. You would have seen them in the press releases, right? We've done some stuff in hematology. We've done some work in, in uh, io we've done some work in onc specifically uh in metabolic cv so yeah you know and i'm they're all in vivo validated which is really really cool um and we're looking to take products to uh to clinical at the next stage that's what i'm excited about i mean put it this way you know what harry if you'd asked me this question if i was still at sanofi or Novartis, i would have said well we really have to prioritize at Solarity, I don't think that's the case. I would say why not just do it all?
0: Well, if you've got the, you know, technology muscle, it's amazing what you can do. I mean, some of the companies that I've been talking to, you know, they'll file more IP on say a new material mm-hmm. in a year than all the big guys yeah. put together just because of the engines that they're using.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's what it is. I mean, I think I really think what Solarity represents now is what Big Pharma will hopefully look like with if they continue their discipline and investments in digital and and uh, and machine learning, or let's just call it data science techniques uh, by twenty forty five.
0: I think I think you're being nice, Melinda. <laughs> I think you're being incredibly nice. I, I I see it more as they might be marketing engines and distribution platforms, right? Because you still need to. Somebody needs to make the drug on you know, on mass, and somebody needs to get it to where it's going to, and deal with all the rest of that stuff. But I'm, I'm highly skeptical. Let
1: me rephrase it, Harry. I really hope they do appreciate what we're doing. Um, like I said, I, I I have a lot of friends in those companies, and I don't know how hard it is to get stuff moving in those companies. And uh, I do appreciate the effort that they need to go through to get there. Um, but you know, and like I said, right? Uh, we are a therapeutic company. There are going to be therapy areas that we take to market ourselves, and there are going to be others that, uh, from a business perspective, just makes complete sense to partner with the right partner, who's as excited as we are in doing the work uh, in a way that's that's meaningful for patients.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to actually the. You know, it's always good to have a new therapeutic. Don't don't misunderstand yeah. me. But but the the data generated from what you've described will. Change the way that we understand and look at biology overall i'm looking forward to papers that will show people things that they may have never seen or considered before that would get the whole world thinking in unique ways
1: i i, I honestly i'll tell you what Harry I really believe uh, cell behavior is the next is the natural and next evolution of phenotype screening, and uh, if more people start looking at and truly use is big data machine learning for what it's really good for you really have to go into that n-dimensional deep networks etc and not and not take that reductionist point of view I think you can incorporate it for where it's relevant to get down to target level but uh, you also have to expand and think really think about behaviors of, of life in the context of a cell
0: well this has been great. I'm glad that we had the opportunity to discuss this and uh, get to learn a little bit more about the company. I'm sure that I have like a, a million more questions, but uh, you know we're, we've, we've got to be respectful to the listeners um, and look forward to getting together sometime soon.
1: You got it, Harry. It's going to be a lot of fun. A busy year ahead. Excellent. Happy Thank you. All right. Cheers. And that's it for this special series
0: of AI, Machine Learning, and Analytics If you enjoyed Moneyball Medicine, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is greatly appreciated. Hope you join us next time. Until then, farewell.